Hallelujah. Well, God is good. Well, Holy Spirit, as we just look into your word, you inspired these men who wrote this word. This is actually the word that you gave them. Just as the scripture teaches that holy men of old were moved on by the Spirit. And that this word is God-breathed. This word is life and light to them that find it. And so as we peer into this word now, as we look, we know that this is going to be a life-altering event. That we will not be the same. That we will not be the same. We thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. I was reminded as I was just praying that of a story. Pastor Brian was over in Africa, in South Africa, with the guy that kind of trained him in signs, wonders, and miracles. He was a a friend, a long, long time friend of ours, and uh, worked with him for many, many, many years. He's in heaven now. But um, he was an evangelist, and Pastor Brian had started working over there, and so one time there was a young pastor there. I'm pretty sure his name was Justice, Pastor Justice. Brian went over, and he come back, and he said, man, I was talking to this young pastor named Justice, and he was telling me how he was driving to the church one day, and there was a car wreck, and uh, he stopped the car, and they had pulled a guy out of the car, and they'd put a sheet over him. He was dead. And he said, I went over, and, and I said, I need to pray for him. And they're like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. He's already deceased. And he said, oh, no, no, I need to pray for him. And so this young pastor just pressed through. He prayed for this guy. The guy sits up, raises him from the dead. And Pastor Brian was talked to him. He says, man, that's awesome. He said, uh, you know, we don't have as many miracles in America as you all have here. And I'll never forget this story. And Pastor Brian could probably tell it better. This has been, man, this has been nearly 20 years ago. But this young pastor said in his South African accent, what? You preach the word and nothing changes? Boy, that ought to smack the American church right upside the head, smack them right upside the other head, knock them back off their chair. Amen. Back the bus up, run over them, back the bus up, run over them again. You know what I mean? What? I I never forgot that. What? You preach the gospel and nothing changes? Nothing happens? And you know, it's amazing. Every time we open this word, we should be changed. Every time we peer into the glass, the mirror of the word, 
we should see a reflection of what we are to become and begin to mold and change into that image. Are you hearing me? Because that's what happens. When we look into the mirror of the word, we see what we ought to be. We see who we ought to be. What manner of person should I be? As I gaze into the word, I become, I become. Amen? And uh, so tonight, uh, I'm going to back you up one verse back there to Galatians 5.24. Galatians 5.24 and 25. We'll talk tonight about living in the Spirit, living as a spiritual formation. And you got to remember something. When you read the Bible, and if you just start in the front and read it through, especially if you start in the New Testament, you read it through, you would have to come to the conclusion that what God was doing in people was recreating them. You couldn't come to any other conclusion because Jesus started this thing off pretty much with, you must be born again. And then he was very precise in explaining what that meant. He said, you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Well, being born of the water is, of course, your natural childbirth. Your mama's water broke, and you were born. You were born of the water. But he said, now you've got to be born of the Spirit. And then he goes on, and he teaches all the truths of how the old covenant fell short in that it did not produce this new spiritual formation, but it actually became like a police force in a city to keep everybody from killing each other until the new birth could happen. That's kind of what the purpose of the law was. It says it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But once we come to Christ, then we're no longer under the law. But now we're new creatures. And as new creatures, we become original formations never existing before. And this new formation has a connection with a realm of the Spirit, specifically a Holy Spirit connection. So therefore, the church, its only successful design can be to become spiritual, not good. We have to become people who are spiritual. Now, if you walk through America and you walk through the average church member, and you would do an interview of some kind with them, 
and you would begin to question them about what does it mean to be spiritual, you would get a lot of different answers. But you wouldn't get very many Bible answers. You wouldn't get very many Bible answers. You would get answers about behavior modification, not spiritual formation. Everybody says spiritual formation. Totally different than behavior modification. Well, here's the problem, and this is what happens, and it not only happens, it happens everywhere, but it really happens to us a lot in the American church because we're after the Greek model of learning instead of the Hebraic or the Eastern side of living. We're more up to the Western side. So the Greek model of learning was completely intellectual. If you ever go, you know, over to Greece, you'll find that the body literally is like worship. That's where the Olympics were born. Athletics. I mean, they love the human body in Greece. You go everywhere in Greece and there's naked statues everywhere. They love the human body. And they love the mind. And Paul went to the, to, when he went to Mars Hill, you know, I walked up on that mountain. It's all marble and they got steps carved into it and you walk up on there. And, and this is where Paul debated with the Greek philosophers. And he said, you have a God for everything. But I did see one God that you had called the unknown God. And that's the one I want to talk to you about. Well, you know, that tells me that even the intellectuals can be reached by the Spirit. Amen? There's nobody outside the reach of God, and there's nobody, and a lot of people say, well, you know, he's an intellectual. He'll never buy into that spiritual stuff. No, 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 no. Everyone that was created by God, inside them, is a magnetic north that pulls them to the realm of the spirit. Now, it may be resisted because of training, because of belief systems. They have wrong operating systems, but when you get down into the core of their being, their spirit, and they're drawn by spirit. So here we have in the American church this dilemma. We don't have very many spiritual churches. We have a lot of churches that we call Christian churches, and they are in the practice of we believe in Christ and we believe in repentance, but the repentance is based on your will not to sin. And that is a tough race right there. If it's my will that's dependent not to sin. How'd that work out for Adam and Eve? How's that been working out for planet Earth? How's that been working out for the church? If it's willpower, you lose. Are you getting it? If it's willpower, you lose. <clears throat> I've yet to met a man or woman that could win a tug of war with the devil. You got to remember, our adversary, 
That's the word Satan in Hebrew. It means the accuser or the adversary. And there's not just one Satan. There are Satan is any spiritual force that works against us or accuses us or an adversary. The chief Satan is Lucifer. Okay? His name is Lucifer. But any demon is a Satan. It's a Satan. It's an adversary. It's someone who stands against you. Now, when God sent the Holy Ghost... He gave him a name, but the comforter, the comforter when he has come. Now, that name, I mean, it just doesn't really, when we translate it, the word in the, in the Greek is parakletos. And when you think of comforter, I think of like a fluffy blanket. So here I've got Satan. I used to think it was Satan, and it really we call it Satan, but in Hebrew, because I was training some Israeli inspectors when I was working on jets, and, and I was trying to witness to them, and I'm, say, I'm saying, you know, uh, what do you guys think about, you know, Satan? And they're like, hmm, Satan? I'm like, Satan? And they're like, Satan? I'm like, Satan, and they go, oh, Satan. I went, okay, yeah, Satan, you know. I guess they're right, they're Hebrew, I'm not, you know. All of our pronunciations are all goofy, you know that, right? You know, we say Sabbath, but it's Shabbat, you know. I mean, anyway, but, so I, we, we have this adversary. You know how he's portrayed a dragon? I mean, this powerful being that, is against us. He's our adversary. And then we get the word to fight him, comforter. I don't know about you, but it's like, oh, what is this, a pillow fight? You're going to give me a pillow and I'm up against a dragon? You know? Please, give me a pillow. And so I'm not real big on that word comforter. You know what I mean? But thank God you got a dictionary, right? We have a Greek dictionary. And when you look up the word that is translated in a lot of Bibles, comforter, it's paraclete or paracletos. It literally means to come to your side and to stand together with you against. Ah, now wait a minute. Okay, so first, my first picture when I went to church was that I'm fighting a dragon and God hands me a pillow. Here's your weapon. But then when I look the word up, I find out, wait a minute, I'm fighting an, a dragon, one who is against me, the adversary, but God says, here's what I'm going to become to you. I'm going to step up beside you and stand together with you against your adversary. Oh, let me let me let, let me just show you how this works. Come here, Joe. You're 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 pretty, you know, pretty good shape. 
I mean, you know, not bad for an old man. You know, I mean, you're pretty good shape. So me and you about the same size, you know. And so you're thinking, well, I'm a little younger than Dave, and I'm definitely in better shape and, you know, probably a little quicker. I could probably take him. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah, he's younger and maybe in a little better shape. And, and let's say, well, you've also trained as an MMA fighter, and you've got like six black belts in six different arts, and you're like a world-renowned uh, boy, featherweight. I don't know, whatever. We're going to call you a featherweight. I'm being a blessing right now. And so we're getting ready to, you know, square off, and, and I'm like, God, this guy's a world-renowned MMA fighter, and I've had a few scraps in my life, you know. Come here, Achilles. And Lord, uh, I need a little help up in here. <laughs> and so here come Holy Ghost. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What you going to do now, big boy? You want to go low or high? I'll go low. <laughs> you got this? Hey, hey, no pillow, man. He's bringing Achilles the Hun. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. But <laughs> so the next time you're reading your King James or one of your Bibles, and it says, but the comforter will come. I hope you picture Achilles and not a pillow. I don't need Mike Lindell's My Pillow commercial. You know what I mean? My Pillow, the comforter. No, no, no. I'm talking about God is about to become one in the ring with you in your corner to stand against your adversary who you cannot beat with your own will. Okay, if that's the truth, then why am I still losing fights? Yeah. Well, this is where we've got to grow in our understanding and application of the Word and the Spirit. You know, when I got saved, you've heard my testimony a thousand times, most of you. I got on my knees in the living room floor. I was high. I was drinking rum, smoking pot. Got on my knees, looked up the ceiling, and I said these words to the Lord. I can't stop. I can't stop. Do, did I know God wanted me to stop? Well, of course, I was raised in church. I was taught good boy, bad boy. Dave, that's bad. Smoking dope, bad. Fornicating, bad. Drinking, bad. Stealing, bad. Lying, bad. It's all bad. And guess what my whole life was? Bad. So now I know God wants me to be good. But the problem with bad is, it's so much fun. Right? Bad's so much fun. So how, how do I get from, I can't beat him with my willpower. How many of y'all have proven that over the years? you tried. And it didn't, you couldn't do it with your own willpower. Or if you could, it was very 
temporary. <laughs> it was a temporary victory, upset with a, you know, a failure. Amen. Some kind of a failure. I tried. I tried. I tried. That's what I told the Lord. I said, I can't stop. I can't stop. Why? It's too much fun. And I told him that. I said, I like it. I mean, you just sometimes you kind of look at sin and say, yeah, I like you. When it comes to feelings at the moment. But I hate you when it comes to the morning after. Right? Right? So you have to confront desire with this truth. But then I said these words. I said, God, I can't change. And I said these words. If you want me, you're going to have to do it for me. Because I can't do it myself. That's what I told him. Now, I'm not giving you a formula tonight. Because for me instantaneously you've seen that old artist rendition you know that old Greece that old Greek painting where the heaven touches earth the two fingers the finger of God touching the finger man that's what happened in my living room and after that short less than one minute prayer I stood up a new creation in Christ an original formation never existing before. I was born again. And at that moment, I had to learn now, well, I knew I never could before, so what's changed now? So what's going to make the difference now? And, and believe me, I was pretty bold just from the moment because I walked right into my kitchen and I Pulled my Marlboros out of my shirt pocket. I smashed them in my hand. I threw them in the trash. I said, I'll die before I smoke another cigarette. And then I reached up. I had these yellow cabinets. They'd been painted yellow back then. Everything back then was harvest gold. Remember that? Harvest gold. Come on. You're old enough, man. Harvest gold. That was right before avocado. Right after baby blue bathtubs. I mean, these things should have never been... <laughs> Somebody said, I still got one. <laughs> oh, yeah. So anyway, moving right along. Um, so I, 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 you know, how, 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 I reached up that cabinet and I had my, I always got a half a gallon of rum and I dropped it in the trash can. I said, I'll die before I take another drink. And then I walked back in my living room and I reached under my couch and I pulled out my drug tray. I mean, I remember having one of those. <laughs> and I pulled it out and I looked at it. And there was a bunch of money there. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, like quarter pound a pot, you know, all these utensils. <laughs> I'm like, and I just slid it back under the couch. And I said, I better make sure this works. That's why. <laughs> So I was John the Baptist with a limp. You know what I mean? I was like fully convinced, but let's just make sure, you know? So, hey, I've only been saved for about a minute and a half. You know what I mean? So I shoved it back on the couch, but I never, 
the, in fact, it was hilarious because I remember it was about two weeks later. Uh, we we were, I think Kong and I were cleaning the house on like a Saturday morning. And I went, oh, crap, that dope's still under there. And I pulled it out and, and flushed it all. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I forgot it was even under there. Because I was off into a new thing of life. Okay, that initial infilling, that initial pow of the Holy Ghost. Now, here's where a lot of times, you know, we just came through a week of meetings and some of us got powed in the Holy Ghost, right? It's like, boom. And then you leave the meeting, you know, and you begin to become normalized again. And then feelings that were in the meeting aren't now at work with me, at school with me, you know. And now all of a sudden that, that feeling, that high that I had in the revival, in the conference, man. You know, I said this, and this is the truth. When, when uh, Jonathan Shuttlesworth was here last year, I literally felt, 10 years younger after that week. And guess what? I still do. That thing was like a shot of youth to me. And it's carried on. I mean, it has been a sustaining life force in me. That revival, I was revived. Wasn't that what's supposed to happen in revivals? You get revived. That's why we call them. Yeah. I mean, so many miracles and breakthroughs happened in that meeting. And then we've had meetings since then where the Spirit of God moves, the Spirit of God. And for me, those have just been a little like top-offs. But I haven't lost that feeling of, man, I've, you know, I feel 10 years younger than I did before that meeting. And I told him that. I said, dude, I feel 10 years younger after this two weeks, you know. It's crazy. Well, now we have to now walk forward in life. And a lot of times, you know, when you get the initial true new birth experience, everybody, and like I say, I can't give you a formula on this. I can't tell you, get on your knees, say these words. That's not how God works. Why? Because he's dealing with my history. He's dealing with my foundation. He's dealing with me. He's dealing with my personality. He's dealing with my, all my childhood. He's dealing with all those things. And you have a complete different system than I do. You have a different history. I love what Prophet Kevin always says, the mystery is in the history. And I, I have to say, the mystery is typically in the family history. I remember when I first got saved, you know, back in the 80s, we made fun of psychology in the Spirit-filled church. We did. We made fun of it. Because that was like witchcraft, you know, we don't need that junk. We got Jesus. We got the Holy Ghost, you know. And I made fun of it. I did. Well, as time went on, and I began to learn that I had personality traits, and my wife had personality traits, and I found out that psychology is not bad. Psychology is the study of man. That's what the word is, the study of man. Theology is the study of God. Eschatology, the study of end things. So, tology, you know, that just means the study of. Theo, God. Psyche, man. Psyche. 
The study of what makes you click. Not wrong with studying it. But the problem is we don't have a cure when they identify the cause. We don't have a cure. How do you make a sinner not a sinner? How do you make someone with evil desire not have the evil desire anymore? Well, the new birth was God's great fix-all. But what happens in the church is immediately after the new birth, like, for example, when Paul began to go out and preach and teach, he would go out and he would tell people of the new birth. He would baptize them, get them filled with the Holy Ghost. They always left Paul prophesying and speaking in tongues. Read the book of Acts. Always. No exceptions. When they left a meeting with Paul, for they heard them speak in tongues and prophesy. For the promise of the Holy Spirit is unto you and your children and your children's children, even to many who are far off, even to as many as the Lord God shall call. That's what Peter preached to Israel, right? And now we got... All these American theologians saying, well, we are cessationists. And so what happens is you got these two groups of people in the church. Now, in human nature, there are, and again, I think a lot of this goes back to family history. There are people, when I used to be a, a druggie, I had a lot of friends, and we had certain people especially around work. And we had this phrase we used among all the druggies at work because I had a responsible job. I was a quality control inspector on a fighter jet. I mean, I stamped a jet and sold it to the, the Air Force came and bought the jet from me. I sold the part of the jet to the Air Force. I had a very responsible job. And I'm getting high every day at work. Sorry, any F-16 pilot that ever crashed. <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, I had a very response. But we had this saying in culture. And I would, we would be talking among ourselves. And if we were going to let someone else into our circle, which was the secret dope smokers of general dynamics, we would say, can he keep it together? Now, the code for that, Matt, can he party but yet still keep enough discipline and control to maintain a normal life? Okay. Now, we had people who couldn't keep it together, and we didn't let them in because they would have ruined our parade. These were the guys that when they got high... They did stupid stuff. When they got drunk, they caused major problems. See, I could get drunk and, and function to not end up in jail the next morning. I kept it together. Then the other party animals, they couldn't, so we didn't allow them in our clique. So we had the sinners who could keep it together and maintain a formal life. And then we had the people that couldn't. And they were the 
losers, you know. They're going to be in jail, and you ain't go, I ain't going to jail with you. You're going to get busted, and I ain't going to prison with you because you're an idiot, you know, that type of thing. Well, you know what we got in the church? We got Christians who fall into the, I can keep it together. And then we have Christians that fall into the, I can't. Well, guess where I fell? I can't. In that camp, I was the loser. Okay, I couldn't keep it together. So in the church as a whole, what happens is, and this has been my observation of the American church over the last 40 years of pastoring, is that churches build cliques or people, and so when you come into the church, you're assessed by how much you keep your life at a level of acceptability for that culture. It may be based on, well, it's based on several things. One thing is based on is, again, are you crazy? Can you pay your bills? Can you maintain a job? Can you function? And those churches begin to create an atmosphere of when you walk into that church, you know, I've got to be this kind of person or I'm not welcome here. And I had a guy uh, come in one day and made an appointment with Dennis and I, and, and uh, he walked in, and this was many years ago, and he said, well, I want to come make an appointment with you guys. And I said, why? And they said, well, I showed up down the street, and I'm going to use their name because they sent him to us at the First Baptist Church down the street. He said, I went there Sunday, and one of their elders or one of their leaders come up and put his arm around me and said, you know, you'd probably fit in better at the rock up the street there. True story, man. That's Den I mean, you remember that, Dennis? And I'm like, they told you that? And he goes, yeah. Because he was all tatted up and, you know, he had that look. He didn't fit the successful businessman who will give us a big year-end offering so he gets a tax break and we can fund our next project. He didn't fit that mold. And so they let him know, you'd probably be better... And so another day my phone rings and a guy calls me and he says, hey, uh, I was at another Baptist church in town and I went to the pastor and I told him I think I have demons. And he said, let me give you David Chisholm's phone number. <laughs> True story, guys. And he gave me your number. I said, he gave you my number? They said, yeah. He said, yeah, he told us you could probably help me. That's why Gary Nangle came in this church and after sizing us up for a few weeks said to me, Pastor, y'all a bunch of misfits. True story. True story. But see, we're not looking when you come in here for behavior modification. 
That's not my life. It didn't work for me. I couldn't fit in that crowd. I'm not the guy that can do it. What I'm looking for is people who have an open heart and says, make me spiritual. Make me spiritual. I need, I don't need to walk in the pride of, I can hold a job, I can run a business, my, you know, my kids are not in prison. I don't have to walk in that pride of life saying, I did all this. Bless Jesus' name. I, I, I'm the guy that says, listen, if it weren't for the Holy Ghost, if it weren't for the Holy Ghost, if it weren't, I'm not ashamed of tongues because if it wasn't for tongues, I wouldn't be here. I'm not ashamed of prophecy. If it wasn't for prophecy, I wouldn't be here. I'm not ashamed of the gifts of the Holy Ghost because that is my sustaining power. It's the only thing that keeps me in the race. Are you hearing me? Yeah, I could function as a drug person in that culture with staying out of prison. But in God's kingdom, I couldn't. I couldn't. So now we, we get into this, this huge issue we have in America of we have people who are trying to be good and failing miserably instead of really becoming spiritual. All right, did you find Galatians yet? <laughs> 524, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Now, some people say, can you just pray that I won't want to do that anymore? No. Why? Well, I can, but I'd have to shoot you in the head. And I promise you'll never want to do it again. Oh, I'm having a problem with my, I'm having a problem lusting. Okay, let me gouge your eyes out. Lust will be, it'll be over. You'll never look at porn again. I just gouge your eyes out. That's what Jesus said. If your eye calls you sin, pluck it out. You'd be better off to go to heaven blind than to hell seeing. Right? Isn't that what he said? People say, well, he didn't really mean that. Oh, really? You ain't been to hell. He, he knew what hell really was. So, yeah, I think he really did mean that. I think that's how severe it is. But, again, if we're preaching, I believe 85% of Americans don't believe there is a hell. Or if they do, they don't believe it's the hell of the Bible. Or they would never live the way they live. They have no fear. Yeah? So... Here we are now, and so he says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Everybody realize this. It's not that God will take away the desire to sin. He will literally give you the authority to drive nails into your own hands and your own feet and to stick a spear in your own side to kill that desire. That desire doesn't just magically go away. You have to kill it 
Well, that is, there is an act of will involved in that. But here's the good news. Remember, this ain't a pillow fight with a dragon. Are you hearing me? Now, okay, well then why am I losing the battles? Well, <clears throat> where's your actual faith and understanding that you do have Achilles stand behind you? Where's your faith and understanding? Well, the problem with this pillow, <laughs> my pillow, I can't get that out of my head now. The problem with this, if we, first of all, we've got to stop seeing the Holy Spirit as a dove. And this fragile little being, we've got to see him as the very force that created the earth and you and I. And we've got to see him that he is with us. And we have to call upon him, and he will answer. We have to believe he's standing there with us. We have to reach out. And that's why God set this whole Christian thing up on faith. The currency that you buy and sell with God is faith. That's heaven's currency. That's how I deal with him. That's why he said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So by faith, like for example, I'm trying to stand against a desire, a lust, a feeling. I want it, but I know it's wrong, and I shouldn't do it, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. He'll forgive me. Well, maybe he won't. You know, that battle's going on. Well, the crucifixion comes when you say, no, you're with me, Holy Spirit. No, I'm not doing it. And you resist and you fight. Now, this next part of this verse says this in verse 25. And if we live in the Spirit, <laughs> let us also... Walk in the Spirit. Now, here's, here's a synopsis here. I believe that most, I'm going to say most American Christians don't really understand what that means and actually resist the very tools you know, if I, if I walk up and your car's broke down and you're sitting there, you know, and all you got in your, you know, you reach in your pocket and your car's broke down and you pull out a, a miniature Swiss Army knife and you've got a toothpick and a pair of tweezers and you've got this Phillips screwdriver. <laughs> And a bottle opener. How many, when's the last time you opened a bottle? I'm like, time to redesign, guys. This is like not 1950 with RC Cola. So, and then you got this. And then you got a knife. So turn around. This is not like Crocodile Dundee knife, you know. 
God ain't a knife. That's a knife right there. And then, you know, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a, another screwdriver with a fingernail file on it that doesn't really work. But I mainly carry it for the toothpick. And if you're over 50, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. When you get over 50, you don't leave home without a toothpick. Unless you're fasting. Say, what's that mean? You'll understand when you're 50 or older. So, I, I mean, you're... <laughs> and then this guy walks up and he's rolling this big tool case. Or he pulls up in one of them service trucks. He's got an air compressor, a welder, cutting torches, toolboxes lined with all snap-on tools. And he says, you got a problem? And I say, I got this. <laughs> you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change a radiator with my Swiss Army knife, you know. He says, I, I've got the tools for that. So we have a tool chest given to us by God that, that 75% of the church mocks. Man, I'm really fighting today. Okay, pray in tongues. Well, they ceased. Well, cast out the devil. A Christian can't have one. Uh, well, begin to prophesy. Well, that ceased too. Uh, well, what's left? I've done, said no to all the tools that God gave me to overcome because I'm too intellectual. Well, I don't believe in that. Are you winning? Well, the people that say, here we are back to the people that can keep it together. They say, yeah, I'm doing okay in life. And I say, you sure your money isn't just buying a facade for your dysfunction? Because the more I've gotten to know people that had money, the more I found out they're as screwed up as anybody else. But their money buys a facade that covers their nakedness. It covers their dysfunction. It covers their family dysfunction. Right? And you look at the outside, the car, the house, the clothing, whatever, and you think, well, that makes the inside good. But Jesus had the same thing in his generation. He said, you Pharisees, you, you're like whitewashed sepulchers, graves, tombs. You're all pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And I'm telling you, that would be the word Jesus would give to most churches if he preached in them. You, you driving in in your car and you walking in in your clothes and, and you, you think because you got a little bit of money, the preacher's going to have to do what you tell him to do? I mean... It's crazy. Now, here we are now, and so if, if we reject the tools, now, 
all I can give you is all I got, right? So people come to me, you know, you're a pastor, right? Okay, tell me how to do it, okay? You need to be born again. Okay, I did that. Okay, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, I did that. Okay, you need to have you prayed in tongues. What's that got to do with me winning this battle? I don't really believe in tongues, and I don't really think I'm, I need them. Okay, do it your way. But I can only tell you what's worked for me and how it works. I've learned the secrets of this verse. If we live in the Spirit, do we live in the Spirit? Well, do you remember what I preached Sunday morning? What did I preach Sunday morning? What, did, what was the conclusion of that message? We are what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. We are actually the Holy of Holies. Okay, we have to believe that. And the very faith we have to believe that, now we begin to say, okay, well, how do I walk in the Spirit? Well, if I live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So Paul's saying, if you claim that you're a spiritual formation now, then start walking like a spiritual formation. If you claim the life of God's in you, then start acting like the life of God's in life of God's in you. That's an act. This is an act. You act like it's true. You don't feel like it's true. Always, some days you do. I mean, there's some days I feel like I'm about to. I'm like, I, I say more and more in my life, as I get older, I say more and more, you can't make this stuff up. That's becoming my testimony. Almost, I said it again today. You can't make this stuff up. God is so good, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, look at how everything he said comes to pass. It, you can't make this stuff up. I've lived a lifetime now. I've seen everything he said would happen would happen. Now, when I was you guys' age, it was different. I'm, I'm, I'm still believing for that, you know. But now I'm like, David, I was a young man. Now I'm old. I've yet to see the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You can't make this stuff up. When I was 22, it was different. Well, I haven't proven that yet. Well, no, you just got to take the testimony of David and David, <laughs> and believe it, because it's true, and you'll see as you live it. But now let us walk in the Spirit. So let's look at now 2 Timothy 1.6. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. How many of y'all got hands laid on you at least once in the last two weeks in this church? If you didn't, that's your fault because I've been slapping these paws on everything that draw breath. <laughs> Amen. 
I mean, you just missed another chance right in the beginning, you know. But, I mean, now, that gift, do you believe? Do you believe there's a gift in me? Well, probably most of you say, yeah, we know there's a gift in here. We wouldn't come to church here if we didn't think you had a gift. But do you believe that you can draw that gift into yourself? That anointing of the Holy One, that gift of the Holy Ghost. Because, see, God is the one that determined the way the system would work. And in Hebrews eleven six, it says not, again, leaving these principal doctrines. And one of the six he lists, the six pillars of our faith, is the laying on of hands. So Paul told Timothy, okay. I was going to grab it before I left, and I forgot. Uh, I see my wife bought, uh, you know, they have fresh squeezed orange juice now at Sam's Club. And so they'll, they'll squeeze it right there and then hand it to you in a jug. And when you leave it sit, guess what happens? A half-gallon jug, about that much of the bottom, becomes real dark. Why? It's settled. The pulp settled because it's fresh squeezed it ain't filtered so what do you do before you drink it shake it up baby now you know what praise and worship is all about well why do we pray, do praise and worship before preaching turn around and look at someone and say shake it up baby you done went and settled We have to stir the gift up. It is our part to maintain. Now, think about it this way. The the most beautiful picture of the New Testament church is the pattern of the Old Testament tabernacle of Moses. And when God created and, and told Moses, he said, fashion it according to the pattern. And then he told him, this is a pattern of the taber- the true tabernacle of heaven, which is now going to have a pattern copy on the earth. And then God, when they got it all built, God sent a flame from heaven and lit the torch, lit the candlestick. But then he told the priests, now your job is to maintain the flame. The fire had to come from heaven to light it. But the priest's job was to trim the wicks and to fill the oil bowls every day. So they would go in, and, you know, when I was a kid, there were still kerosene lanterns around that people would keep. And I, I, we had kerosene lanterns in our house when I was a little boy. And the thing you knew is you had to trim the wick, and you had to pour the kerosene in, then you had to clean the globe because it would soot up after a while. So you had to keep the kerosene lamp, but if you maintained it, it would burn forever. It would never go out. Now God, he's the one that, he drops the fire in you. He drops the spirit in you. But you have to maintain the flame. Trim the wick Pour in the oil, clean the globe, 
We have to have a constant daily maintenance. That's why Jesus never said, pray for the food for a year. Give us this, our daily. Anything more than thinking about today comes from, remember? Take no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. And anything you think of past today comes from what? Evil. Evil. That's what he said. Don't even, don't even worry about tomorrow. Consider the little leaves of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Hasn't your father clothed them? Even Solomon was not arrayed like them in glory. What about the sparrows? Did you ever see a sparrow going to work? No, they come to my bird feeder and eat my bird feed every day. And I go to Sam's Club and pay 29 bucks for a bag for next week. Why I do that? I'm old. I used to laugh at people that do the things I do now. I did. I used to laugh at people for doing the things I do now. Why would you do that? Well, anyway. God said, that's why I made old people to feed my birds. <laughs> hey. But he said, take no thought for tomorrow. And what he's really saying is don't have anxiety about it. Because you can't do anything about it anyway. You can't, none of you can make, add, I sure couldn't add anything to my height. And uh, I sure haven't been able to add any hair. Trying to convince the hair there to stay there. But I can't do anything to add a hair to my head. He said, you, you don't have that. He said, don't worry about it. Take no thought. Give us this day our daily bread. Years ago, I began to change my prayers, and I began to say, Lord, today, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. That's what he said. Okay, i got to take this to heart. So my daily maintaining, everything with God is daily. Every day, the children of Israel... They had to get out of bed and go outside and gather the manna before the sun came up. Because once the sun hit that like nine o'clock position, the manna melted and was gone. And if they hadn't gathered it by then, they didn't eat that day. And then God said, you can only gather enough for one day. And if you try to store it, it'll get worms and stink. And rot. And some of them tried. Of course they did. Just like you and I would have. Well, let's just test this. Because I'd really like to sleep in tomorrow. Come on. And it, guess what happened? It, it, it bred worms and stank. And they're like, he's serious about this daily bread thing. Do you realize all that was only to teach us that every day we have to come to Christ and feed off his life. Every day. And I mean, I talk to Christians all the time. 
Don't pray for weeks. Don't have, go, go months. Days without having a time with the Lord where they feed. How many of y'all ever fasted? I mean, only after about three or four days, you don't want to go run a marathon. You got to eat to have strength. Your body needs fuel. Your spirit, some, some of you have been fasting in the spirit. And the Bible says this, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Okay, how do I get more strength? I got to begin to stir up. I got to begin to walk. You know what? I can't just, and here's the other thing. I can't just walk out of my prayer closet and then bust into the day like, all right, I done, I, I did my time. Now I'm going to be me the rest of the day. No, no. I got to now, I live in the spirit. Now I got to what? I got to walk in the spirit. That means that I don't leave church at church. I don't leave my Bible laying on my dresser. I carry it in my heart. I remember one day my, you know, I, you know, back, back when the, all the Christians started getting tattoos. See, when I grew up, if you got a tattoo, that was a sign of rebellion. Okay? It was. Bottom line. Sailors got tattoos in Japan. When they were out on drunken brawls, you know, that's how it worked when I was a kid. But now everybody got tattoos. So I'll never forget me and my wife, you know, I, I encouraged my daughters. I said, girls, I, I really don't like them. I mean, you're adults now. You can do what you want. But if you ask dad, I'm going to say I wouldn't do it. Okay. So my son-in-law one day comes home and he's got this big lion on his bicep. And he walks up to my wife, you know. He goes, oh, ma. That's the Korean word for mom. He says, oh, ma, what do you think? And I'll never forget, she looked at him. She said, I carry the Lion of Judah in my heart. Whew. Now, my son-in-law does too. And again, he's another generation I understand the generation today don't think like I did, and I'm not, I don't pick wars with that no more. That war ended for me about 20 years ago. I'll pick another mountain to die on, okay? Not a hill to fight on right now. That's between you and your maker, all right? How you want print, that's between you and your maker. But I, I, I'll never forget her saying that because there's a truth to that. And, and again, he wasn't in that, but I just know sometimes we put on this God wants it in here. I want to carry him in here. I want to be a carrier of the lion. And so when you carry the lion, that means now I'm walking in the spirit. I'm walking in the spirit. So if the lion is in me and the adversary comes and he says, Behold, let me show you something. Now the old David go, what you got? But instead of the old Dave going, 
What you got? I wish I could roar like a lion. I can't even. You know what I mean? When the devil, let me show you what I got. It's like, and this devil's like, and the door slams and he's gone. Are you hearing me? That's what I'm talking about. You gotta walk in the spirit. You gotta walk with a lion of the tribe of Judah in your heart. And he's ready to fight. He's not your pillow, he's your sword. Amen. He's not just your little comforter, he's not a little dove on your shoulder. He's the he said, I will take hold, and look it up for yourself. Look up the word parakletos in the Greek. It means to take hold together with against. I can't move this thing on my own, but could me and God move it? Yeah. So I call upon him. Come on up, guys. Man, it's getting late. Stand with me this, tonight. So now I'm, 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 I'm like, oh, no. The lion. You know, an old preacher used to say, when the devil comes to knock at your door, send Jesus to answer. And when the devil comes knocking and he starts pulling on them flesh, listen, your flesh is never going to lose the desire to sin. Are you hearing me? It ain't ever going to lose the desire. The pleasures of sin are real and for a season. But your flesh can be stopped when you bring the lion out to answer the door. Your flesh can be stopped when you begin to say, I'm, I'm walking out of here tonight, but I've stirred up. You know why I pray in tongues so much? I've In 40 years of Christianity, I have never found a way to activate the power of God quicker in my life than to begin to pray in tongues. People say, oh, I don't think I need to. Okay, do it your way. I'm just telling you what works. Well, I don't think I need tongues. Okay, do it your way. I hope, I, I pray to God that it, it just ain't the facade of you being able to keep it together enough to look good. But you're really having the winner. You're in the actual winner circle in your spirit to where you can walk without shame, without guilt, without condemnation because there's no reason for you to have that because you've not yielded to the dark one, but you've stayed yielded to the sun. And this don't happen by accident. It only happens on purpose. And so we begin to stir up the gift within us. I'm telling you, man, you bring Jesus with you. I'll never forget one day I was, I was, when I was trying to quit smoking cigarettes, I mean, that was the hardest thing for me. Hardest thing. It was harder than drugs, harder than alcohol. Cigarettes, because back then that was the legal sin. It still is. I mean, back then everyone smoked everywhere. Everywhere people smoke. And so you couldn't get away from it. So if you were trying to break the addiction, you were standing three feet from people literally every waking moment smoking. 
at work, on an airplane, in a restaurant. There was everywhere. And so when I was trying to quit, I remember one day the Lord said, say my name every time you get the thought. Every time you feel that nicotine surge pulling you, he says, say my name. Say my name. And he said, and I'm going to tell you something else. He said, every time a tempter comes, say my name and watch him flee. And you know what I started doing? I'll never forget, man. I had people because of my past. It took a long time for all my friends to know I got saved. So I had people walking up offering me things, not knowing I got saved. And the minute I would say, let me tell you about Jesus. It was like turning on the light in a kitchen and watching the cockroaches go. And they disappeared. And I learned, I said, all I got to do is say his name. Some chick's kind of hitting on me. Jesus. She gone, man. Gone. Jesus. 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 They're gone. I was a little lonely for a while until I found some other Jesus people, you know, because there was a Jesus left. I think Keon thought about it, you know. But I'm telling you, man, the power of walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. I got to give you this verse before we quit. I want you to listen to this. Maybe make a note of this. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. And if you catch hold of this, your tongue war will be over. For if I pray in a tongue, what's this next verse? What's it say? Oh. When I found this 41 years ago, when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Wait a minute. What, 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 what do you say? If you live in the spirit, therefore walk in the spirit. Wait, what, what about? Look, but you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit you mean tongues is my spirit with Achilles behind me yeah and watch Joe run I'll be saying run Joe run He's beating feet, man. Are you hearing me? Pray in the Spirit. Building up yourself on your most holy faith. Man, when I found these verses 40 years ago, I'm like, so this is spiritual. This is the gym, man. This is the gym. This is where I build my, this is how I get strong. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Spirit. When I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. But build up yourself. Praying in the Spirit.
oh man people say you really prayed in tongues six hours a day yeah you know gary got back here he got whacked the other day in the in the conference and i walked in the other day i think it was monday i said gary how's your prayer today you know what he said to me he said i prayed in tongues for five hours yesterday when's the last time you did that gary never is that what you just said never how'd that work out awesome 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 ellie got a new husband amen huh you did didn't you amen you better watch it. he'll outrun you now girl you better pray in tongue six amen say dave does it does it take all that no no you know you can do it your way you can, hey listen try the behavior modification try just saying no try covering up your sin with money try all that means nothing drown your conscience in entertainment bury your life in social media but there's still that little thing inside for me it was there's got to be more than this this is it got to the top of the mountain the great athlete said and there was nothing there got back to the hotel the great celebrity said and I was all alone I kept you way later than I wanted to, but, well, actually, I didn't. I wanted to. Let's sing this song.